Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Paul. Thank you for reminding us of these truths. Thank you for reminding us that God is indeed faithful. And he has good plans for us, as we read in Jeremiah, plans to prosper us. You know, God is, sometimes we picture God as putting trap doors beneath our feet or putting brick walls before us or tricking us, you know, offering us one thing and then turning around and giving us something else. But as we studied just a few weeks ago, Matthew 7, God's not giving us stones and serpents. He's giving us bread. You know, he's feeding us. He's leading us and watching over us. As we were singing, I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 6, such a powerful chapter. It says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So God gives what his children, he says he will give to his children. And so he's not taking anything from us, but he is leading us not only to the promised land, but to him, to him, so that we might worship him. Well, let us pray together. Um, I put in the bulletin a time of prayer of repentance. You know, you've probably heard the acronym before of acts, prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication. So this is that that see a time of confession, and so. Um, you are not going to have a time where you come up to me individually and, and share your, your sins. That's uh, different altogether. But rather, let's just pray in our pews and confess our sins. So thankful for this church body that you heard um, my confession of repentance this morning. Uh, a brother, uh, one of our church members afterwards this morning came to me and he said, You're forgiven. I thought about yelling that out to the whole church. And uh, I just appreciate you and your prayers for me and supporting me as your pastor. So let's just spend a few moments quietly in prayer, confessing our own sins. Gracious Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we come before you as the God who forgives us. Lord, you forgive us of our sins. You cleanse us. And Lord, you do not leave us where we once were. But Lord, our, our sins are washed away. They are removed. And so Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you. Lord, op- open our eyes to where we are not aware of our sins. Lord, I pray that you might open our eyes to it so that we might repent of it. Our Father, your word says that you discipline those in whom you love. So Lord, if we see our sin, we can repent of it. And Lord, if we, if we are stuck and continue in our sins, Father, I pray that you might remove a spirit of stubbornness. Lord, I pray, as was read earlier, that you will create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Father, I pray that you will cast me not away from your presence and that you will take me not, take not your Holy Spirit from me, but that you will restore to me and restore to this church the joy of your salvation. Uphold us with a willing spirit. And so your word says, your, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So Father, teach us your ways. Teach us to love you 
Wash us thoroughly from our iniquities. Cleanse us from our sins. Our outward, clear, rebellious sins. Our inner, hidden sins that we think are fine. That we think are respectable. And we think that are not a problem. Lord, open our eyes to see where we rebel against you in small, minor ways. Father, I pray that you will lead us by your Spirit. Lord, teach us that when we sin, not only do we sin against others, but most importantly, we sin against you, that you are the holy God of Israel. But yet you, in your holiness, also show your steadfast love and your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we can come to you and be cleansed. So Father, teach us, cleanse us, wash us, so that we might be whiter than snow. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And lead us by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray as we see our sin, that we might turn, we might repent of it, we might come to you, and that we might not continue in pride and arrogance and selfishness, but that we might walk with a humble spirit. That we might walk not only to love you, but to love one another. Create within us a love, a sacrificial love for our spouses, for our children, for one another, for our Sunday school teachers, for the deacons, for this church family. For Father, you have knit us together as only you can. So Lord, create within us a tenderness and a mercy and a kindness and a graciousness towards one another. Thank you for this time. And Lord, lead us again by your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are going to look just briefly tonight at Isaiah chapter 42 through the Foundations Bible Study. I will tell you that tonight you get a little bit of a night off. You don't have to participate as much as we did uh, in previous weeks. We're only going to do the H and the E, the highlight and the explain. So you don't get the whole here, just the he. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 42. Um, You might be thinking, well, last week we were in Isaiah 9. And so we jumped a lot of chapters. And we might go back and look at a few of them. Actually, um, let's look just briefly at Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12, Isaiah 11 and 12 are key chapters in the book. Isaiah talks about the righteous branch that will come from the stump of Jesse. We know that to be Jesus himself. So another key chapter pointing to Jesus. But look with me at chapter 12. Chapter 12 is so short in the grand scheme of things, and particularly for Isaiah, because it's such a long book and many long chapters. But in Isaiah 12 it says, You will say in that day when God shows his mercy and kindness to us, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. And then in verse 4 it says, You will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. 
And so we are to sing praises and to shout and to rejoice in what he has done and what he is doing. And as I said last time, what's amazing about Isaiah is that he's not just stuck on the current situation. I know sometimes in my own life, all I can see is the box that I've created around myself and all that's going on in the here and now. But Isaiah, as the lonely, rejected prophet, I'm not sure who's rejected more, him, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, but he's not stuck in here now. He's looking forward to the day when Christ will come, the Messiah, but even for, uh, further along than that, in the new day, when Christ will return and he will set up his kingdom. And so fixing our eyes on eternity is not easy to do. But Isaiah does that, and particularly um, in what are known as the servant songs. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at the servant songs. There's four servant songs in 42, and, and then in um, 49, and then in 50, and then in 52 and 53. It kind of runs together. But these four servant songs speak of the servant who is coming. Again, as Christians, there's lots of ways we can describe ourselves. We could call ourselves pilgrims, sojourners, saints, um, and um, besides those, we can also call ourselves servants. We're pilgrims, sojourners, saints, but servants. Paul called himself a servant. Well, we are servants because our master, Jesus Christ, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here in Isaiah 42, we see this one who is the Lord's chosen servant. And he is the one that we are to look to. So in this chapter, we're going to see a few things um, about this one who is to come. Let me go ahead and read the chapter to us. Behold, my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. This is a continual theme throughout Isaiah. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness... I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This is a, we'll stop here just for a second. This is a key phrase, a key theme that the idols of the nations, the idols that we can quickly turn to, bring futility, bring foolishness, do not bring prosperity. And we see this in chapter 41, later in chapter 44. And so he says, We are not to praise the idols, but we are to give glory to God alone. And then in verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I think of the new creation as 
Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. <coughs> let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and retained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, You are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger, whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His eyes are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. <clears throat> but this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among, wow, that's big font. <laughs> Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways that we would not walk and whose law that we would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the mind of his battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. So here in this chapter, we're just going to look at it very quickly. But Matthew Henry outlines the beauty of God's plan unfolding through his son, the servant of God, as we see in this chapter, who will bring justice to man. The prophet seems here to outline the prophecy of the Messiah and his kingdom. And so as we look at this book, I want to give you a quick outline. In verses 1 through 4, we see the servant introduced who has been chosen by the Lord and is invested with the Lord's Spirit to bring justice to the nations. Then in verses 5 through 9, Yahweh states the servant's mission and assures the servant of his support. In verses 10 through 13, the servant sings a hymn of praise to Yahweh. And then in verses 16 through 20, judgment falls on Israel. Judgment falls on Israel. And then in verses 21 through 25, we see the disobedience of Israel. So that's just a quick summary. And so as we look at this chapter or at this book, um, obviously we know the name of the book is Isaiah. The passage is Isaiah 42. But I just want to ask us tonight, what are some verses that stick out to you? Just like last week in Isaiah 9, the first part 
is should almost come second after the disobedience and the rebellion of Israel. This first part, we see Isaiah looking forward to what is yet to come. So what are some verses that stand out to you? Don't say verse 26. Verse 10. Why do you like verse 10, Paul? Amen. He says, because I'm a music minister. Of course I like verse 10. <laughs> Such a wonderful, wonderful word. Makes me think of Miriam and the songs of the Exodus, of rejoicing. And many times the, the new songs that would come would come right after seeing God's mercy and his redemption and, and watching over the people. Any other verses? Verse 25. He didn't say 26, good. Why do you like verse 25? I wouldn't have guessed that you would have said verse 25. Hmm. Hmm. Stephen, that is very observant, wise, uh, wise interpretation, application is that we must see, the, he said, we must see the pride of our own life. And so many people outside of the church, sometimes even within the church, see God's anger as a bad thing. But as one person told me one time, we can't understand God's love apart from his anger and wrath. And we can't understand his anger and wrath apart from his love. So think about those characteristics as the same, two sides of the same coin. So we see his anger that is poured out upon Israel. But we see it as a good thing because even in the next chapter, he is looking after Israel. Someone else? Buddy? Six, seven, and eight. He couldn't pick one. Uh, he had to get three in there. What, what makes you like those, those three verses, buddy? Yeah, that's, that's great. It's not like God has called us for a special mission, picked us up, and dropped us off in a helicopter somewhere in Afghanistan in the mountains and said, you know, I'm not giving you a mission, just go do something. No, God's not doing that to us. He's not leaving us isolated. He's called us, as Buddy has said. He's called us to righteousness, and he paves the way before us to open our eyes to proclaim the gospel. And what I love about verse 6, it says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. So again, even glimpses of the new covenant that is yet to come. Those are great verses. Any other verses? Thank you, buddy. Verse 14. Doug, what, 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 makes, you, what makes verse 14 stick out to you? reminds me again of God's holiness and that he will show forth perfect righteousness and justice he will execute his anger and wrath rightly 
not vindictively or not with vengeance, but because of his perfection. So God will carry out his word as he says he will do. Other verses. That's a great observation, Paul. I never thought about that before. But indeed, he did speak in parables at times to keep things hidden and at other times to reveal things. But again, pointing us forward in verse 19 of the servant who is the Savior of the world. I'm surprised nobody has said verse 1 or verse 9 yet. Somebody was thinking it. But verse 1, again, we see the the chapter title, uh, My Chosen Servant. We see that he will be chosen in whom my soul delights. Does that ring a bell with anybody, that that phrase right there, my soul delights? Anything come to mind? Jesus' baptism, the one in whom I delight in. He says, I put my spirit upon him. So we know this is no common individual, but this is the son of man, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. You know, as the nations, Psalm 2, I heard a sermon one time, I can't describe 2% of it, but Psalm 2 is a wonderful depiction pointing to Jesus to come, and it says the nations rage, but even the nations are under the control of God's righteous and mighty hand. And so God will bring forth justice to the nations through Jesus, the Son of God. And then verse 9, again, speaking of the former things that have come to pass and the new things that I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So again, pointing forward to what God is going to do through the Messiah. Very good. So we, we pointed out different verses and... Um, that spoke particularly to us. The title of this, I put God's promises concerning his servant. Um, You could say the Lord's chosen servant. You could say um, the servant who has come and Israel's rebellion, all of that. There's a lot in this one chapter about summarizing this. So here's the the E. We've highlighted now E, E explaining why was it written, to whom was it originally written, Why did the Holy Spirit include this passage and what's he intending to communicate through this text? So this was written to Israel to show them in whom their hope will come from. Again, it wasn't from kings, it wasn't from the nations, and it definitely wasn't from their own righteousness because they lacked it greatly. It was written to the people of Judah and the Holy Spirit included this passage so that we might see the fulfillment of God's promises through God's servant. So we see the Lord God is the only God. The idols that the nation worship are nothing in comparison to God. Look back with me in Isaiah 
41, Isaiah 41, verse 20, 21, it says, Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare us to the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you, that is the gods, the idols, are nothing, and your work is less than nothing, and abomination is he who chooses you. So here in 41, and I think later, yeah, in 44 as well, we'll definitely get into the idolatry. So the nations and the children of Israel must see the servant as their only hope. The servant who will come will be the Messiah, who will bring forgiveness, justice, and peace. He will bring light for the nations, and he will usher in the new covenant for the people of God. All right, well, we are going to stop there this evening. That's all that I have prepared for tonight. But let us, let us remember, it's so easy to forget, but let us remember where our hope comes from. Again, we can fix our hope to our resources, our abilities, our friendships, our family, even things that are, are good, we can make ultimate things. I know that Trisha and um, Gwen and Cynthia have been learning a lot about the idols that we can make in the class that Sheena has been teaching. And so we must remember where our hope comes from. So let's pray together as a church family.